Welcome back to the podcast. This weekend, Clemson didn't turn the ball over once. The Tom Herman hype train is slowing down quickly, and life is good. Guys, this is your host, Nick. I'm joined today by Ben and Cody, and we are the podcast. Um, this will be our Florida State preview episode. But uh, before we get started, we'll also take a look at some of the college football action around the country this weekend during Clemson's bye week, and also take a look at what that might mean for playoff implications as we're still about a week and a half away from getting the first uh, college football playoff committee results in poll. Um, first thing, though, guys, wanted to maybe take a minute to look back at the first seven weeks of the season, and let's recalibrate for a minute, if we could, just our feelings on this Clemson start overall. I mean, for me, it's it's just been kind of a really weird season so far. Starting which with such high expectations, and I'm not going to say stumbling out of the gate, and I'm not going to say that we haven't met those expectations because hell, we're seven and zero, and we still have every possibility of reaching the national championship game again. But you know, we came into this season kind of expecting more. We're you know high off of the excitement of playing Alabama in the national championship game last year. Um, there were question marks on defense, but it turns out they're really good. We thought the offense was only going to be better. But it's been kind of slow, and there's been some kind of head scratchers and, and questions, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And you know, teams often struggle in seasons after winning national championships or at least competing in them, especially ones who aren't used to getting there often. Uh, so you know, unless you're a team like Bama, who's just that's built into your DNA, or in the NFL, the New England Patriots, who just can bounce back year after year and aren't going to have that slump season, that down season. You know, it is tough to kind of get motivated uh, again. But uh, you know. I guess I would just say the wins maybe aren't as exciting as we'd like. Things aren't as coming as easy as we would like. Um, Deshaun, White, uh, Deshaun Watson's Heisman hopes have kind of been dashed just because of mainly the emergence of Lamar Jackson and a little bit of the slow start on offense. But may, you may find yourself asking, what's there left to play for? Well, the national championship, oh, yeah, we can still do all those things. So it's been weird so far, but, man, we're 7-0. and yeah, maybe to pump a little sunshine because if you listen to our NC State recap, you know we were we were a little down and uh, you know Debbie Downers. We were definitely pessimistic, or I mean, you can't help but feel a little bit. I think it was justified. Downtrodden. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was a little justified. Um, maybe maybe looking at something positive going forward, less on uh, a recap of the season to date because I feel like we've talked about that ad nauseum. Is the coaching staff? What I've seen in this little uh, bye week is they've done a really good job from what Dabo from Dabo down and really not pressing these guys. Now the the overly passionate um, erratic fans going to say you need to you know make them run hills for all the turnovers they committed. And I think I heard Ben at one time say you got to bench Ray Ray McLeod. I think I said the very next game you got to bench Ray Ray McLeod. Not a good anyway. Sorry, not to put all the blame on you. You got to You got to kind of cap those things. I'll take it. it's my fault. We're seven and zero. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, so so the coaching staff has made it a point not to press the guys, not to bother them mentally. I think you talked about effort. I don't think it's ever been a thing of effort or ego coming into this season. That's not the reason we're having these inexplicable turnovers and, and you know these games where we're we should we should be putting opponents away a lot earlier. I think the the main thing is that the coaching staff is really letting off, letting our guys feel loose, letting us in this bye week relax, get rested like we need to be. And I, I think there's an opportunity. Uh, for to see a different product on the field, starting with Florida State, and obviously we'll talk about that a little bit later. I mean, it's it's been a grind so far. Seven straight weeks of games coming out of uh, August camp. Listen, we have the third toughest strength of schedule in the nation right now, so that's saying something. And we're seven and zero with that. Auburn and Tro the Auburn and Troy wins. They're looking a lot better now that Auburn's really taking it to some people. Troy's only loss is to Clemson, so. Yeah, maybe early in the season, those first two games, we kind of were taking a little bit aback and like were kind of worried that Clemson didn't beat those teams by more. But it's turning out that they're actually pretty good football teams. Yeah, that's right. And I think our toughest matchups, once we get through Florida State here, will have been behind us. Um, certainly Pitt and Syracuse, they're punchy. You know, they've got, um, they're, you know, not, not the doormats that you might have thought they were coming into the year. 
uh, at least on the Syracuse side, and then Pitt, you know, they're they're always going to show you a good defensive look playing under their coach. Um, those are both at home for us, though, and um, so I think, yeah, you know, we'll get into the Florida State matchup here, but again, a lot of goals ahead of us, um, toughest matchups in the past in the rear rear mirror, and you know, if you look at the road win at Auburn, you know, you touched on that one short briefly, Ben. I think increasingly we're seeing it's lucky we played them the first week of the season. I don't know the fact that we won that game by six points and Gus Malzahn was, you know, working a revolving door at quarterback there. In a sense, we kind of, we lucked out or we were fortunate that they didn't have their stuff together. Um, people talk about wanting to or not wanting to face Louisville in a rematch. I'm not so sure I want to face Auburn at this point. Well, I mean, I want to face anybody if we continue to turn over the ball like we're doing. But if we just stop that, I think we're fine. I think we've been the clearly the better team in every single game we've played this year. North Carolina State, that game shouldn't be that close. They're clearly not as good as we are. You saw that when they got blown out by Louisville yesterday. Well, what, what aspects of this team, maybe we'll, we'll wrap up after this thought, have surprised you guys in a positive way? We'll start with the defense, right? Um, I think, I, you know, listening to some other podcasts, hearing about our defensive line on the national level being talked about is just elite. Like, you can't stop them. No one can block them. Well, that's a little surprising when you, when you compare that to what we were saying coming into the year. And that's not to say we didn't think we'd have an elite interior line. We just weren't sure what we were going to get from the defensive ends. And I think that by, you know, Christian Wilkins making that an all-American you know, position group and Cleveland Farrell, you know, having a good start to his career – uh, that's something that really positive, and then not to mention Carlos Watkins and the development uh, of Dexter Lawrence, Scott Pagano. For me, I think we kind of lose sight of the fact of how good Deshaun Watson really is. I honestly think that we're a little overcritical and spoiled at times. Not not saying the fan base, just the fan base. I'm saying us too here on the podcast, uh, because you look at his numbers. For the most part, they're better than they were last year, and it, you take away a lot of these turnovers and some of these drops by the wide receivers. And you might really be looking at Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson neck and neck and neck for the Heisman. So I think that is a positive. Deshaun Watson is every bit the quarterback that we hoped him to be. He's just been so good that we've gotten a little spoiled. Listen, the remainder of the season is going to be very telling for this Clemson team, and it all starts this Saturday at Florida State. We're going to find out right then in Bobby Dodd, not Bobby Dodd, what's the name of their stadium? Doe Campbell. Campbell. Doe Campbell, some guy. We find out right then if Clemson is a national championship team. It's going to start then, and then also how we close out the season against the likes of Hughes, Pitt, Wake Forest, and South Carolina. Do we put those teams away like we really should? Well, I say that's a little flawed, like looking at one game, and that's what maybe that's our reason we've had such a seesaw of, uh, if you listen to our podcast, you know, from one, one game to the next. I think looking at any one game is too small of a sample to make conclusive decisions about what this team is. However, I will say we do, we do have the bye. Um, that gives your coaching a chance to, you know, put – Everything they have on full display, we know this is probably the biggest game left on the schedule, not counting the ACC championship game. So in, the, in, that, in that light, I, I could definitely see why we, we could take a lot away from this game. Uh, you, you're not going to see anything, any concealing of the, of the playbook, that's for right. sure. And, well, and that's exactly what I mean. Coming off this bye week, is the team able to correct the things that they've been doing poorly, and do we turn it around? Like This isn't a home game against Louisville. This isn't a first game of the year at Auburn on a team that's still trying to find their identity. This is... This is at Doe Campbell. This is in Florida State, a place that we haven't won in a long time. There's going to be probably more pressure in this game than this team has faced since the national championship game. Probably more pressure on this team in this game than Let's any look other at game last so far year. this year. Like, look at last year for the way we came off of that North Carolina game. We were Our defense couldn't have been any more gas, any more tired, uh, fatigued, and you, you saw effort, whatever it was, focus. That it was a, just not a good product. And what you saw in the Oklahoma game, and we thought that those three weeks would really help. I think you're going to see a little bit of that, too. I don't think we fully, I guess bottom line, I don't think we fully accounted for how tiring the schedule was and how tired the guys were just in that NC State game. And it's, it's both mental and physical. Well, and especially on defense, when your offense isn't producing like they shouldn't, keeping the defense out on the field too long, and they start to get worn down, too. So those things combine. Right. You get the offense firing at all cylinders, completing drives with touchdowns. That's going to make the defense even better than they already are. Well, guys, let's pivot. I mean, I think we're... We very much have a positive outlook on the remainder of the season. I, I won't stop us here and ask for, like, are you adjusting your win-loss totals for the year? But um, Clemson is very much in control of its destiny nationally. Other teams this weekend, you know, maybe are not um, at this point. And, 
without going through, everyone's seen by, by this point, by the time you're tuning into this, you know what happened around the country. Um, I, I want to talk about action on the field this weekend in terms of things we learned or more context we have um, related to games that happened, but also what that means for the playoff race. Biggest one, Ohio State number two, losing at Penn State last night. If you look at it, though, Ohio State, and you know, people can take this as a slight or whatever, they're not likely to drop all that far in the AP, um, and they're also not likely to be eliminated from the playoff consideration because they can still win their division, they can still win their conference, they can pick up two more top 10 wins, having already beaten Wisconsin on the road, having already crushed Oklahoma on the road. Oklahoma is going to continue to move up the polls. It's just what they do. You know, they lose a couple bad games early, and then they just steamroll the Big 12. They're going to move up. Ohio State's resume is going to get better and better if they keep winning. I guess what I learned is their youth can come back to bite them in spots. And you know, I think I had them penciled in. It's either them or Michigan as a coin flip. Michigan, I don't know who they've played that's really been worth a damn on offense, but still, statistically adjusted for opponent, they're incredible right now. And it's going to be that game's at in Columbus. That still is leading up to be a huge matchup. I just don't think people should be pissed off that Ohio State's still considered a potential playoff team just because they, they do play a really tough schedule. No, absolutely. I, I think, and you mentioned, if Ohio State wins out, I don't think this is that critical of a loss for them. I actually think if they're going to have a loss on the schedule, this may be a very good one. Uh, this is one that could translate to wins later in the season for these younger kids. I mean, listen, going They got into, the taste of blood in their mouth, Yeah, and right? going into Penn State is not an easy game. I don't care if Penn State's medi- mediocre. That's a tough environment to play in. So they, they go moving forward here and win out. They're easily in the playoff. They win the Big Ten. Yeah. I think so. I think you're going back to the, the youth for Ohio State, um, it's a similar theme is 2014 where they had a very young team all four-star five-star guys that were replacing you know their predecessors who were also four or five-star but anyway Urban Meyer is a great coach they lost to Virginia Tech early in the season and they, they stomp or march back and a lot of times like you said that loss can help uh you know for coaching for teaching you know the learning moments that come from that definitely a, a really good team by all statistical measures um, they have looked like a national champ, national championship caliber team. Aside from this game, um, you know they had the right to lose a, a tough road game when it were. I think they haven't had their bye week yet. Yeah, just, they're back just to like, back off of Wisconsin in overtime. I mean, that's that'll wear on you too. Great, yeah, great point. And then you know we we almost lost to NC State. I mean, it, these things happen. You know, miss field goal and makes all the difference. And that was at home, and they're a much younger team than we are. Right. Uh, so anyway, you know. Buckeyes are by no means out of it. I feel like people can save their outrage for something else because they're right there in it, and they they, they, they play a tough schedule. They dropped to number six in the AP, so they're two spots away. They have to climb up two more spots to get back. Um, Alabama cruised through. I would say not cruised through, but um, they outlasted and survived a very strong Texas A&M team uh, in, in Tuscaloosa. Maybe some home cooking a little bit early on a non non-called targeting, and then Texas A&M lost a player to targeting. What are your guys' impressions of that game? Well, that game in particular, it was, it was you know, prototypical Alabama, just putting the pressure on, winning field position battles, and at the end, the defense coming away with scores and, and turnovers. I was amazed at how much Alabama not, not only got penetration, but they were living in the backfield. It reminded me of watching like a high school game where one team is overmatched and the quarterback's just scrambling for his life. Um, I don't have the you know the numbers right here, but I can't imagine the tackles for loss and the the sack numbers look very good. I can't imagine Trevor Knight's having a good day. He's probably in an ice bucket right now. But um, it, that just goes to show their speed on the defensive line, their speed at linebacker. Um, maybe final comment on Alabama's. It doesn't look like they're the number one team. It looks like they're the number one team with quite a bit of distance right now. They're kind of running away with it. They, fair enough. I mean, I, I watched the last part of the second or sorry second quarter for end of the first half and. Um, Saw a few, you know, potential Achilles heels or cracks um, that could affect them later in a game, such as their kicker. Um, not very accurate. And, you know, again, like, if that's the weak link on your team, not a huge deal. But um, they <laughs> gave NC up State some... begs to differ. They gave some chunk plays late to Texas A&M there, too. Um, I'm not sure other teams are going to be able to exploit that. I think Trevor Knight is a pretty, pretty special mobile quarterback. Um, 
But in general, I mean, yeah, Alabama is clearly your, your top team at this point, and they have as clear a path as anyone. The only interesting thing is there are a couple of teams left in the SEC West with only one conference loss who, if they win head-to-head against Bama, that could throw turds in the punch bowl. Well, and I, I agree with you, Cody. I think Alabama is clearly the gold standard. Um, they do lose Eddie Jackson for the season, but I'm sure they'll have somebody else to, to pop in there and back him up. That That is a big loss. Um, but, you know, I, I, what I take away from this game is just watching the evolution of Jalen Hurts. This is a true freshman coming in this year, and they've admittedly held back the playbook from him a little bit here at the beginning of the season. But looking how he is going to transform for the second half of the season moving forward and to give him some time off uh, during uh, practice, bowl practice, and I think you're going to see him come out in a college football playoff and be twice as good as he was to start the season. The playbook's going to be more open for him. He's going to be much more involved in the passing game. Um, and we know about his other intangibles. So I, I think that's going to be something to watch. Alabama is not known for having great quarterbacks, but I think uh, Nick Saban has changed his philosophy and it's manifesting itself in the evolution of Jalen Hurts. Absolutely. And Lane Kiffin, uh, for, say what you want about him. He, he's a He's a good coordinator. He's Help to uh, I guess tailor the offense and and help uh, Nick Saban to evolve a little. You're actually seeing a guy that was complaining about the spread, hurry up, no huddle concepts. What two or three years ago because of risk of injuries. Sure. Uh, well, now he's uh, incorporating a lot of those same concepts and they're doing really well. The entire game of football is a risk of injury, so right. that doesn't hold much water. And you, you see that in him hiring Lane Kiffin. Uh, elsewhere, guys, any. I don't necessarily know that there are any you know, massive shocks. It was a pretty chalky weekend outside of that Ohio State upset. Um, I think you can definitely put a nail in Houston's coffin. And an interesting thing for me there is what that, what that means is Louisville will, will not have a win on its schedule versus any team with fewer than two losses. Yeah, but you, you see them dismantle North Carolina State yesterday and just how good – Lamar Jackson looks and him likely going to win the Heisman if he keeps this up this year. Louisville wins out. I think they're still fighting for a spot in the college football playoff, depending on how everything else shakes out. I disagree. I feel like not having a marquee signature win, you could beat the shit out of whoever you want, but you don't have a big win. It's Florida State. They'll probably have three losses by that point, and they will not have a conference championship. I just, I, I can't see it. So it's it's going to take a lot of other things that go their way. And that's, that's unfortunate. That could very well be us because we don't face anyone. And we, you know, if we didn't have that ACC championship game. Well, let's consider Clemson and Alabama went out. Washington ends up with a loss. Michigan gets beat by Ohio State. So they both have one loss. Well, there's a lot of context. Washington, as a conference champion, gets in over Louisville, I think. The Pac-12 is not that good. Yeah, but they're not going to... Can anybody watch Washington and Louisville and, and, and tell me that Louisville's not better than they are? They have, it's, it's all about the resume and the conference championship, I think, is the tiebreaker. It's unfortunate, but that, that is just the... They, they picked the better team, right? They we're the we're no team. longer in a world team. where poll, like writers who go on the eye test determine who gets into the playoff. Thank God. It's a group a committee. They've got rules and guidelines, and those are laid out, and Louisville, in my mind, doesn't qualify for two to three of those, so... But yes, but I, I, and I do think, like you said, the I I do think Louisville's probably better than Washington. But yeah, they here's the here's the guidelines, and they'll probably have a conference championship, one loss or not, and they probably get in over Louisville. And like I said, that could very well be us. Thank you, Marcus Edmond. Can exactly. we talk about Oklahoma Texas Tech just for a second? Talk about it. Seventeen hundred yards of total offense in that game. What is Bob Stoops thinking now, letting Brent Venables go? Would Britton Mittables give up 59 yards to Texas Tech, or 59 points to Texas Tech? I mean, this is embarrassing, a game like this. Yeah, agreed. Big 12 is a giant dumpster fire outside of West Virginia at this point. Um, Baylor also looks pretty good. Unfortunately, those teams don't play till the end of the season. So that actually might be an interesting playoff wrinkle. Um, If both of them can survive undefeated till that point, the winner of that game is going to be undefeated and win their conference. So it's... Horrible just, for college. If there's anyone you can root for, root against more than the Gamecocks, it'd have to be Baylor. Um, but it, yeah, that the fact that it's coming, and West Virginia, frankly, if you're a Clemson fan. That's so true. yeah, true. <laughs> um, anyway, I think we've it's all kind of our own fault. Though. Not good. Having faced and played Oklahoma and enduring their fans chirping all last December, um, yeah, Big Twelve. I don't much care for. 
I do want to say one good thing about South Carolina for once. Uh, though they did squeak by UMass yesterday, 34-28, to 28, a really bad football team. I'm actually surprised. I think South Carolina can eke out five wins this year, and I think that has to be considered a, a success for Will Muschamp. They're not going to beat anybody worth noting. Um, but five wins coming into the season, they're a really bad football team. I, I actually think they should be somewhat positive about that. I don't think anything they do this year really on the field matters that much. Um, you know, it hasn't been a, a, a complete embarrassment of its season, and that's that's good enough for the future. Of yeah, and I, the I guess at least what I'm seeing in the battle of the bad teams that are on their schedule, at least they're winning those games against bad teams, so they're not sunk to the level of the Vanderbilts. I think they're going to beat Missouri. Missouri's a really bad football team, so something to be positive, something positive to be had there for South Carolina fans. How's that translates to success moving forward? We'll see. Cool. Guys, let's transition um, at this point. But before we talk about Florida State here, wanted to give a quick plug for the podcast. Um, wanted to make sure you guys are following us on Twitter and Facebook. We are posting pretty frequently over there, you know, links to interesting pieces related to Clemson and the college football landscape. Uh, trust by this point you're subscribed to our show, but if not, take a look at us on your favorite podcasting app. I myself use Overcast on my iPhone. But a lot of people like the iPhone podcasting app. Some people use Stitcher. You can also stream us directly on SoundCloud. You're able to download our shows over there as well. So um, that way you don't miss a show and you're not waiting for us to post links. But um, appreciate everyone's listenership and telling you know Clemson, fellow Clemson fans about our show. You know it's a great way that we can expand our listens. So thank you. Yeah, and I wanted to just say really quickly, I think I mentioned a little bit last week, TigerNet has a new daily fantasy sports app. Really cool, nice, sleek interface and design. Um, download that. You can do it via iOS or just go through uh, like the, the website version. Um, but right now they're giving out free prizes, one of which includes, and you can look, look this up on TigerNet, these wooden pins that are, are that are basically it's the is it the oak made from the old oak trees that were that surrounded Death Valley, Death Valley, yeah, which is really cool. I mean, piece of history, and I mean, they're, they're really they they look really nice, and and uh, I don't know, just so check that out. You, you, there's also you, you can also enter um, do like actually cash pools to win a substantial amount of money, or you can do like a twenty five cent pool and win a little bit of money. But either way, cool thing. Uh, check it out. You engage with your uh, your fellow tiger. Uh, friends and alumnus, alumni. Cool. Well, let's let's move on to talk about the Seminoles here. And before we get into this specific matchup with Clemson, let's take a moment to review where they are at this point in the season. Florida State finds themselves coming into this week, probably a little bit. Well, by all means, you know, playing below expectations from themselves, their fan base, and really nas- the national college football community. Uh, a lot of people had them written into their top four. Possibly even playing, you know, competing with Clemson for an ACC title, and things have not gone well in Tallahassee. Um, they were blown out and embarrassed at Louisville, and then came back um, a couple weeks later and lost a heartbreaker in Tallahassee to North Carolina. But beyond that, though, they have just not looked like your standard Florida State team. And if you're reading the headlines, kind of paying attention to them at far. Uh, kind of the lazy narratives out there that, oh, they lost Derwin James. They're a little bit banged up. They're hurt. You know, no surprise that they're not playing as well as they could. But I think if you if you do a little reading, if you follow anyone from Tomahawk Nation, those guys do a great job. And we've been listening a little bit to the Noel cast all season, keeping track of this, this big opponent for Clemson. There are a lot more potentially structural issues with this team, starting with the coaching staff, but certainly with some of the players that they've got. Um, there have been questions of effort with this team, and uh, I feel like overall it, it, it has been a disappointing season. That being said, you know nothing would make them feel better about their future and you know rebuilding for a future year than than beating a Clemson team at home, um, you know with the nation's eyes watching them. And you know I, I want to get your guys' thoughts on how their season's been going and your reactions so far. But um, overall, I mean, if you if you look at Florida State over the past few years. 2013, most dominant, most talented college football team, probably since that 01 Miami team. There might have been some Alabama teams that had the talent in there too. But uh, 2014, they very much underachieved. They sent some guys to the league, but they looked a little bit like, you know, 2015 Ohio State, or some would argue Clemson right now, where they're playing close, they're playing down to some opponents. They're not really, you know, finishing through games. Um, 
and we saw what happened to them to Oregon in that Rose Bowl game in the playoff. Last year, they kind of considered that to be a rebuilding year, retooling. And all the expectation was on this year where, okay, they've got DeAndre Francois has taken over the quarterback role from Sean McGuire. You know, they've got experience back on defense. They've got all the, all the skill players they need, Dalvin Cook, et cetera. And it just really has not materialized. So I think if you're a Florida State fan, you just gotta gotta be disappointed and not really sure in the direction this program's going at the, at the moment. Yeah, they like you said last year they thought was a rebuilding year, and for a team that's elite, and we're just we just arrived to the elite. So I always think it's interesting to kind of examine a, a, a team that's that's been there and what it's like to stay there. And you see all these things that can potentially go wrong, and 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 that fine line between you know being a two loss team and being undefeated. Keep in mind, we could very well be that two loss team at minus if if a couple plays didn't go our direction. So we could be sitting in the same kind of boat that they're in. Um, but yeah, like you said, it starts with leadership, coaching. Um, they have some some guys that are seniors that they don't feel like are, are completely bought in. I think a lot of it when you go to like preseason narratives, like this this unit's supposed to be really good, and sometimes we're guilty of that. Looking at like a like our wide receivers, we assume on paper you got a bunch of five star, four star guys. Well, you know, we Florida State applies that same logic to their wide receivers. Well, it just doesn't pan out. Or their offensive line, well, they never played together, so it didn't pan out. But, um, yes, yeah, a little bit – I don't want to say it's dysfunctional because there are only you know, two losses, a ton of talent. I wouldn't, wouldn't put too much into that. But, uh, but definitely a, a disappointment, and I think they're going to be calm for some people's heads by the end of the year. We'll say they, they have played some of the best offenses. I think the number, number one uh, was its strength of schedule in terms of offenses, and it's, it's by a distance. So um, please you know, take that into consideration when you're, when you're looking at this team. Well, it's funny that you mentioned the lack of effort because it took a lot of effort to come back uh, in that first game of the year against Ole Miss and win that one after being down so big early in the game. And now I know that win does not seem as impressive now as Ole Miss is now a 3-4 and four team, but I kind of pivot that to talking about the injuries. And I, I know maybe it's a lazy narrative to just blame injuries because they should have enough talent to back them up and come in to fill. But as far as the psychological effect, especially for seniors who've been playing with these guys for so long, and you see a Derwin James goes down, Dalvin Cook get bang, banged up, Bobo Wilson is hurt, uh, senior DB Nate Andrews. So I think over the course of time, uh, that can become psychological, and a lot of seniors get worn down with that. And they listen, they see guys start dropping like flies, guys that they've been in battle with, and maybe they do lose a little bit of focus, and then that translates to questions about the coaching. Where I think it goes back to effort, though, and motivation, I mean – Four or five weeks into the season, Jimbo Fisher made all of his players sign a pledge that they were going to agree to be coached. They were going to give 110% on the field. They were you know, not going to be distracted or me first. And they did that before the Miami game. That team seemed to come out with effort, with pop, with focus. And then seven days later, didn't show up to a wake game. And whether I, I, I can't personally chalk that up to downtrodden injury feelings or I just think in general it's it's maybe a lack of focus. All that said, they're going to show up against Clemson. When these guys signed at Florida State, they did that knowing they would be playing under the lights at Doe Campbell Stadium, you know, competing with Clemson, playing high-profile games. That's what they came for. Just like with the Miami game, they got up for that. They're going to get up for, for our game. But you mentioned Cody. They're going to be high-profile boosters and other other people in the fan base calling for heads over there. It's not going to be Jimbo Fisher fired. Let's start there. You might not even see coordinator turnover this year, but I think they are going to expect to see some sort of accountability, right, for for what's gone on. Well, you can't blame the players for everything, so it does start at the top. So I think you will see some somebody having to answer to the, to these issues. It starts starts on their defense, but yeah, I think another interesting thing going back to what you're saying about Jimbo Fisher uh, having this pledge that the the, the guys needed to sign. I think that's part of the game. They're, you know, we we are recruiting at nearly the same level they are. Uh, they're, maybe they're, you know, a couple of notches above us in terms of uh, bigger classes and more talent throughout. Yep. Uh, I've heard uh, I've heard Bud Elliott on the Nolcast refer to pl- some guys just want to be Florida State players. And I mean, I think when you look at it as a Florida State player and down in Tallahassee, you're 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 a god. You're living kind of like a like a small town rock star. So I, I think there, that is part of it, um, and I don't want to say that doesn't happen at Clemson. I'm sure it does, but I think when you, you get to the point where you're probably putting talent over character, and I won't, I won't you know, say this is why Clemson's so great because I'm sure we make our mistakes too, 
But I think you're seeing a little bit of that because they're lacking leadership. You know, they get punched in the mouth by Louisville. They fold quickly. And like you said, they, they sign a pledge one week. And, of course, they look good against Miami very next week against Wake Forest, and they don't show up. Well, for Miami and Miami game, there's a lot of incentive for these guys coming from a lot of them coming from the state of Florida. Yeah. A bit of a rivalry. It's hard for anybody to get up against Wake Forest. True. Guys, let's pivot to talking about this game. And I want to start with the offense, Florida State's offense, that is, when they've got the ball. Because I actually feel like this is going to be the key to the game. If they're able to uh, buck the trend of late from their team, and we'll touch on that in a moment here, I think that's their only chance of staying in this football game overall is if their offense can get going. Um, to give you guys some context, they have averaged eight and a half points in the first half all season long against Power 5 teams. That is pretty darn abysmal. Against Wake Forest, they averaged 4.5 yards per play. And Wake has certainly improved. They're not the, the doormat team that we've all expected them to be the past five years or so. Uh, but they're by no means a defensive juggernaut. And with the amount of talent on that Florida State offense, they should be putting up far more points per play. Um, so again, Florida State starts slowly. I think if Clemson's defense can you know, hold them to that trend, that bodes really well for this Clemson team and our game this week. Well, and that's why I think that if we win the toss, that you look for us to kick first and put our defense out on the field. It's not just that first half stat. They haven't scored a single touchdown in the first quarter all year long. They're averaging something like less than two points in the first quarter. So, you know, if, if I'm Clemson and I'm Dabo, I want to get our defense out there first to set the tone of this game, take the crowd out of it, um, and look for the defense to dominate early. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, that's actually a smart point. Put them on the on the offense first if given the opportunity. They are a team not only that um, will be playing at home with a lot of energy and momentum, like you said, totally the bright lights. It's one of those game three or four games they can look at their schedule and be like, I'm definitely going to play hard in that one. <laughs> this is one of those. And, uh, and the crowd's going to be in it. If you can deflate them early, you got to because they are a team that's been known to fold and yeah, home field advantage does matter. It absolutely matters. I think Clemson, uh, Clemson's Death Valley has proven that a couple times this year. And when you think about Florida State, generally, you always want to look at their quarterback as their offense tends to ebb and flow with the quality of, of that position. We certainly know what Jameis Winston meant to that team and the, the ring that you know they, they earned when he was under center. DeAndre Francois is their starter at the moment. He looks to have sustained a shoulder injury during the Miami game. Played with a great amount of toughness in that game. Stayed in there. Um, led them to a, a late victory in that game. Um, he'll have the benefit of the bye week. I think you know he was good enough to go against a Wake Forest team, which if there were any questions, I'm sure they would not have hesitated to spell him and put in Sean McGuire. But that's another maybe footnote for this game to think about is what is Francois' health level? And if he takes a couple of timely sacks from the likes of you know, Farrell, even Dexter Lawrence up the middle, um, is that something that can re-aggravate and play a factor in this game? In the, the book on Francois has been that, well, for one, he's, he's tough, tough as nails. I, think, I know Florida State, that's, they've really gotten behind him because he does, he does have that very, you know, takes a hit and he gets back up and keeps playing. So he gets a lot of respect for that. But he also has a very, um, I guess, not a great pocket presence. He doesn't move, maneuver around in the pocket uh, very well. He doesn't see when it's collapsing in the, the line. You, so would you say he takes hits and part of that might be his own doing? Exactly, yeah. And there's going to be pressure. Clemson's going to get pressure on their offensive line. It hasn't been great. Uh, they, they have talent on their offensive line. They just kind of like us at times. They miss assignments, but uh, to a, wor le or a, a worse degree. And we're going to get pressure on him. He's going to get hit a few times. Um, part of the reason they've been slow, too, on the offense is because Francois has a hard time reading defenses, going through his progressions. It takes him a little while to, to properly, I guess, assess everything. Venables, in our defensive scheme, he, I mean, that's what Venables does. He gives you different looks. He puts pressure on you. Uh, I, I find that both a, a favorable matchup, but also if he does find a, a few guys, a few of his receivers early and, and gets comfortable, it could kind of go the other way. But ultimately, I definitely think that's an area where, where we're favored. Well, speaking about how much he gets hit, uh, I think that's all the more reason to get our defense out on the field early because you could see what the fresh Clemson defense, the defensive line, did early on against Lamar Jackson in the Louisville game. So you get pressure on him early. He's taken a ton of hits this year. Um, you get him on the ground. You get him frustrated. Uh, you alter his demeanor and decision-making, again, I think that's really setting the tune early if you get after him. And he's not the same guy as Lamar Jackson. He may not be able to sustain that and bounce back like Lamar Jackson was able to. Yeah, I think another area that 
I've certainly heard about from the Noel Cast guys related to their receivers. And at this point, there's somewhat household names in that receiver core. Um, Kermit Whitfield. There's uh, Bobo. Yeah, Bobo Wilson, who will not play in this game. He's hurt. Travis Rudolph. And Travis Rudolph uh, made some headlines earlier in the season related to some off-the-field stuff, but in a good way. <laughs> um, you always have to caveat that. But um, anyway, you know, they're, they're a solid receiver core. They're athletic. They're not the most physical and athletic group, though. And I think this is actually where that's not necessarily Clemson's profile either in our secondary. You know, we're not, we're not going to be hitting them too hard. You know, that's not really the profile of our secondary. But um, do we get Adrian Baker back? You know, can that give us the advantage over an athletic receiver core? Well, I think more so the, the advantage is going to be they're not going to be as physical as North Carolina State's receivers were on the outside, which really disrupted mm -hmm. uh, the Clemson defense and secondary. Now, now something that um, NC State was able to do well, which I think we might see Florida State and Jimbo Fisher employ, was NC State moved the pocket a lot. They had a lot of quick passes that really helped to neutralize the defensive line. Now, obviously, the wide receivers being physical on the outside helped with that, but... Though FSU doesn't have that, I look for them to take a, a part of that, uh, a piece of the playbook from the North Carolina State game, apply that, and try to neutralize this defensive line, which otherwise can be very disruptive. It would be smarter than to do that. I, I think one of the criticisms of the wide receivers, and it's not really on them, but it, it's that uh, the, the offense, uh, their, their pro-style offense relies on a quarterback to be special, like a Jameis Winston. Well, uh, unfortunately, Francois is not Jameis Winston. Maybe he gets close in uh, two years, but he's not there right now. So, and they don't do a lot. You know, unlike Clemson, they don't do a lot to, you know, like the, the short pass game or the bubble screens. They don't do a lot there uh, to, to get their their playmakers in space. So, you might see them go to that a little bit to, because we're going to get pressure. But um, but they haven't been. That's not really the books. Well, my my question about I think the way NC State was able to move the pocket related to number one. We couldn't get a pass rush either way. Florida State's line, there's a question mark there. And is Francois mobile enough to make that move and still be accurate, you know, in you know, while on the move? That's another question mark. Also, their pass protection among their running backs has taken a big step back this year. That was one of the things that people underscored with Dalvin Cook talking actually about his Heisman resume last year was that Unfortunately, the Heisman looks more at offensive stats and yards and touchdowns, but he, he was, a lot of people felt the best running back in the country at pass protection. That has not been the case this year. He's been one of the worst. Could be related to a shoulder injury that people assume that he has. So overall, I feel like when it comes to Florida State's passing game, I would give the edge to Clemson, mostly related to our pass rush and pressures. Yeah, and that's how Clemson has been successful for the most part. Uh, defending the pass all year long is just the front four getting a, a ton of pressure and disrupting what's going on there. And you, again, you saw that against NC State when that wasn't able to happen. NC State was able to have su success downfield. Do we take a step back? Does Venables see something uh, from that last game and is able to make adjustments uh, to counter that? Well, we know he is really good at making adjustments. So again, I'm Seeing what we have out of Florida State's offense this year, I'm less worried about this side of the ball than I am about the offensive side for us and their defense. Well, before we flip to that, there's a name we really haven't focused on in terms of a weapon yet for them, which is Dalvin Cook and what he can offer. I would suggest he has not had the season that some might have expected coming off of a, a terrific 2015 campaign, and we've alluded to potential injuries there. I think overall, though, it's lack of success in the passing game that teams can then you know center in on on Dalvin Cook and he's still look he's still had a great year he's still putting up pretty good numbers that is a position I think that Clemson could could be exposed somewhat Absolutely. yeah his, the talent is still there he's I think he's looked at as the front runner for all ACC so it's not that say he hasn't had a bad year the uh, the shoulder hurt him early on and I think it still hurt him he, he looks probably a half step slow but Dalvin Cook a half step slow is probably our fastest running back so uh, he's he's got a chance, and they'll you know they'll they'll have opportunities to um, get him out in space, and, and obviously you know up the middle they're going to be sending bullet blitzes. Uh, Bullware talking about giving Francois different looks. They're going to be sending Bullware and Goodson, or I'm not Goodson, but uh, but Joseph. So there's going to be some gaps that Dalvin Cook will have. Can, can the secondary be athletic enough to come up and make those plays in space? Well, we saw what he was able to do us uh, do against us early on in the game last year, and okay, listen, yeah, he's been hurt. His pass 
four games he's over 100 yards each time. So we know he's going to get his yardage. We know he's going to be that dynamic player maker. Now, how much we're able to neutralize that and kind of isolate that as the only success the offense has, we'll have to see. And that, that a lot of that is on the secondary. If I'm a Florida State offensive coach, I'm looking at two, two performances to try to model what you try to get Dalvin Cook into, and that's Lamar Jackson's third quarter against Clemson, third quarter and fourth quarter, actually, second half, where in spots he was able to get into the open field, you know, maybe exposing blitzes. Granted, that's different when you've got a quarterback, you know, if you, if you do the math, 11, 11 hats, um, we, we would have probably one more guy in coverage able to focus on Cook there, but he does have that ability to get into the open field and then, you know, it's off to the races. So I think safety discipline here is going to be really critical with Dalvin Cook um, in this game. And in terms of that, like, where do you guys think we're best suited in terms of which player you know, to potentially try to match up with Cook. I, I, I think it's going to be linebackers, too, stepping up to fill the gaps because I don't think he's going to beat us on the outside. I think it's more of those runs up the middle and he finds a crease and he takes off. One good thing this defense has done this year, and we've talked about this a lot, is limit the big plays. Um, now, again, Dalvin Cook is a much more dynamic running back probably than we've seen all year. Uh, so I do expect some big plays out of him. That's just going to happen when you play, play, a, you know, play a guy like this. Going back to which, how we're going to utilize which players and which packages, I think we did a lot of dime packages against NC State. We were able to get pressure with three. We might be able to do that. I mean, normally that's like in a third and uh, long type situation. We may employ that in, in other situations just to see if we can get pressure with three. Maybe we can, and then that leaves a speedy, you know, Kevon Wallace in the back. Um, I think that might be your best bet with a playmaker like Dalvin Cook. And with some, with some good receivers, you know, I, I think – make it a little bit tougher on uh, on DeAndre Francois in terms of uh, hitting receivers and coverage. So so relying more on our secondary to to keep their man in containment and coverage. Or putting an extra man in the secondary in, in the right. dime package, um, which which Kayvon Wallace, hey, freshman, he's looking good. Um, he's Yeah, he's, you know, he's taking which, his lumps. You, but. Which you can justify. You want to put more focus on containing Cook than Francois. Yeah, I guess the obvious passing downs then maybe we go to more of like the dime uh, a dime or at least a nickel package where you're actually putting a a safety into that that linebacker spot i just long story short i don't think you're gonna see a lot of Dorian daniel i could be wrong but i don't i don't see that definitely and maybe one last area that we've recently talked about clemson getting burned a bit is through the tight end play over the middle in the flats florida state doesn't have like a nick o'leary at this point um at tight end but we talked about those shifty receivers. Are they able to, you know, make slant plays over the middle, especially if Cook gets going in the play action, play action offense? Um, it'd be interesting to see. Has Venables, you know, did we use the bye week to coach against that? But it seemed like that wasn't as much of an issue against NC State. They didn't really make their bones over the middle. So maybe adjustments have been made. That's just another area that. Florida State, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they do have success if they're getting that tone over the middle. I think it, I'm more worried about uh, uh, Dalvin Cook on those kind of check down situations and going back to what you said about safety help, uh, safety discipline. I think that's going to be a big, big role in the game or it could potentially be a big decider in terms of those big plays that we did see against uh, Louisville and, and a little bit against NC State. Listen, I don't, I don't think they're going to be able to rely just on Dalvin Cook to win this football game, or at least to put up points in, in bulk on this defense. And I think the, the biggest key to Clemson stopping SFU is just get pressure on Francois, disrupt him, make him lose his confidence. And I think that's the, that's the game plan right there. Yeah, and what we'll talk about next a bit is don't give them short fields to work with as well. So, yeah, why don't we flip it over to Clemson on offense. Um, Florida State's defense... I think it was meant to be the strength of this team coming into the year. They've had one serious injury of note. Um, All-world safety Derwin James is uh, shelved. At least they, they initially thought it was going to be about a four- to six-week injury, uh, but it looks like he's out indefinitely at this point. And a lot of the Seminole fans are saying, look, if this is a lost season, sit him for the rest of the year, get him 100% for next year. You know, Why trot him out here when you're really gunning for best-case not even the Peach Bowl, you know, a much lesser ACC Bowl this year, um, just to get him back on the field, you know, get Derwin James back for next season. So uh, that has definitely disrupted what they can get done in the in the secondary for Florida State. Uh, Josh Sweat and Derek Naughty have also, you know, been a little bit banged up. 
past couple of weeks, they both showed some promise and some improvement. That may be due to simplifying their playbook on defense and not, you know, but it could also very much be them continuing to improve from early season injuries and woes. Um, but in general, I think this defense is probably one to two steps behind what everyone's expectations were. Some part due to injury, but potentially also due to the talent not really achieving expectations. Yeah, I think I think it was the pressure. To be honest with you, I mean, these are a lot of young guys that have high expectations come in. Um, but everything we're hearing, the guys have been very tentative and, and afraid of making mistakes. And of course, we know that leads to making mistakes. You know, when you look at a Clemson team who has a uh, or cycling a lot of guys through a lot of new guys in there. Well, these are guys that have still been have played in high pressure situations. They played behind guys that are really elite football teams, and they were there for the national championship game. So I think it's yeah. a little bit different. We also haven't played the caliber of offense that Florida State has to date. And Cody, you listed earlier the you know the fact that they have the number one strength of schedule for offensive opponents. Ole Miss put a number on them. Louisville. You know, North Carolina is a potent offense. So um, losing or nearly losing all three of those games, yeah, that can expose a young defense early, and there could be a lingering effect to that. The thing about their their defense, which is it's somewhat interesting, well, for one, they have all the talent in the world. Um, they did, and Derwin James was a, was a big loss, but not, not one that they shouldn't have been able to overcome. The, the book on their defense schematically was very similar to Kevin Steele's defense where there was a lot. Uh, they tried to install a lot. Their, their, D, their DC, um, Charles Walker, was trying to do a ton of things, um, making it really tough on some of the young guys, even some of the older guys. So the linebackers in particular, well, secondary as well, were playing very, very slow. Uh, that five-star speed is, is rendered useless when you, you're thinking pre-snap and even after the snap. So that was the book on them. Uh, especially Louisville had a lot of trouble with some misdirect or gave them a lot of trouble with misdirection, different guys in motion, and the linebackers were just really, really slow. Um, Miami, where they did have a little bit of success against a, a somewhat potent offense, was more in pro style, less motion, less things, less eye candy to occupy their, the defense's mind. So um, they, they were able to contain them a little bit. I think we just inherently have a, a great uh, advantage if we use some of that motion, those jet sweeps, um, doing some zone read stuff, then that I mean that gives us a good starting point. Well, and Charles Kelly's their DC. Um, what they've done, what they've done lately, they've switched to more of a man-to-man defense. They ran a lot of zone earlier on the year, and they found some success in that. Wide receivers have had a tougher time getting separation, um, and we've seen Clemson wide receivers at times struggle getting separation this year, but. Um, you know, things that I've read is, is Charles Kelly would likely prefer to play more zone against the explosive Clemson Tiger offense. And that's where I think we might see heavy doses of Hunter Renfro and Jordan Leggett get involved in this game, especially coming across the middle, starting to pick that apart and maybe opening up some more things on the outside. One area where they do have a, a really, like you, you talked about it, their defensive front, Josh Sweat, um, Derek Noddy is, is an NFL player. Uh, Demarcus Walker. Demarcus Walker, who we recruited heavily and almost had him at Clemson, is is looking like an all close to an All American level uh, player. So they can get they'll, they'll have some uh, they'll get some pressure on us. Um, what, what we need to do talk about getting in zone. D- David Hood wrote a nice piece where he um, and he doesn't always dissect play calling and things like that, but he did a good job in this piece where he talked about in zone. Uh, inside zone blocking where the essentially you, you you read the defensive end all the linemen go in a, in a similar direction zone blocking and it allows uh, it allows Deshaun Watson to make that decision if he's gonna you know uh, if the if the defensive end uh, sucks in or if he's if he stays true whether or not, whether or not to hand off the ball we could do a lot of that and I think interesting to see if we do that because the whole year uh, other teams have been, been devoting a safety to stop Deshaun Watson. So I, it'll be interesting to see if that's how we play it, or like you said, go to those you know short passes to Hunter Renfro. But that's a lot, that's made it to where our offense has had to be perfect through eight, nine, ten play drives. Uh, you know, and that that's that's tough. The margin of error becomes a little bit tighter, and you have to be perfect. But even looking in the NC State game, there were a lot of drives that were going that long until there was a turnover. So you're you're yeah, bound to be a mistake given that large of a sample. Well, I mean, if you're going to be an elite team, you need to <laughs> sure. you need to corral some of those mistakes. So again, yeah. the drive you can't stop randomness, but you can you can hopefully coach and prevent you know you're putting yourselves in positions to get stripped or you know throw bad picks. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, I, going back to the the zone that they hope to employ, I think that is where actually you mentioned Hunter Renfro. 
he and or Ray Ray McLeod, you know, dissecting that defense and um, picking them apart, getting between the zone, I think is what Clemson should and Jordan Leggett too um, should try to achieve early. If they flip it and go to man coverage, that's where Deshaun Watson can beat you with his legs in a zone read situation or in a you know with the run pla- run run pass option. Well, and that's the argument for why maybe they wouldn't go. Uh, with man coverage, you know they haven't played a mobile quarterback their last two games where they've, uh, you know, gone with this man coverage. Um, in Wake Forest, and Brad Kai is not an incredibly mobile quarterback, so this game is going to be different. What it? I'm going to ask you guys both this. Maybe Cody, start with you. What is your number one priority on offense if you're Tony Elliott? What do you need to have be successful this game? I would say it, hoping Wayne Gallman is back, establishing some sort of run game. And it doesn't happen by saying, hey, here's a, here's a, quarter, or a running back dive through the A-gap, and hopefully we'll get some push. It, it happens with misdirection, with using Ray Ray or Artavis in a, in a jet sweep or in motion just to you know, get that linebacker to, to you know, think for a second, which they've been known to do. And, and using, obviously, Deshaun Watson in those zone re situations, that's the number one priority is, is getting a running game established, I think. Yeah, and I, listen, we've seen the coaching staff be consistent in that every single game this year. They're committed to trying to establish the running game early on, almost to a fault where they're being stubborn at times. I'm going to be particularly looking at how does Taylor Hearn respond to a couple of poor performances recently and also want to see him in tandem with Jay Guillermo, how they handle Naughty up the middle um, and see if we do start to open some things up. And then I also want to see that if we don't start to open things up, does Elliott start to get creative or does he continue to run inside even though nothing's there? Well, I mean, you got to keep them honest in, in one way or another, but I think you, you just can't say, it can't be obvious running plays and here you go, here's a dive. It's, it's, it's using some things on the perimeter, or doing whatever you can do, using Deshaun Watson and even some, some quarterback draws, whatever it is. If that's what you mean by creative, then, yeah, I definitely would like yeah, to see well, more of that. Running back up the middle in third and two is clearly not working, especially when we're down at the goal line. So something, something else needs to build, be built into the game plan, especially with all the weapons that are on this team. Yeah, I think for me, and we haven't talked much about the big play for Clemson, but challenging that secondary, attacking them, nothing will take a crowd out faster than seeing Deion Kane run into the end zone from 50 yards out. Um, I, you, know, that, you can't build and predicate your entire game plan around that, but I absolutely want to see them go for the jugular early. I, and I think you very well could see that for the, the reasons about that we mentioned earlier, taking the crowd out of it. Absolutely. Are there any X factors on Florida State's defense? If X guy has a great game, we could be in trouble. What do you guys think? I think if they handle us at the line of scrimmage, I think that's their biggest strength, and that's uh, the best opportunity that they have for controlling our offense. Yeah, I don't want to – how lazy of a narrative is this? If we protect the ball, if we win the turnover battle, then I think we're in good shape. But it's true. It, it, it is, really is true. It is, yeah. it is true. It's self-inflicted wounds uh, on offense that's killed us, um, especially even with the sustained drives that we've had. Yeah, you're right, Ben, though. If it's, if it's one thing, it's probably um, – it's. Why am I drawing a blank on his name again? Defensive end. DeMarcus Walker. DeMarcus Walker. Yeah, if, if he can get pressure, if Josh Sweat and Naughty are back and actually you know, playing 100%, then they could have some success there. I mean, I think that's where, knock on wood, Wayne Gallman does come back full strength. We need his pass protection ability and see where that gets us. And, and a capable playmaker that go along with that pass protection ability, yeah. Exactly. Um, so, you know, Wayne Gallman may be sort of a, an unsung most important player on this offense this game. I think we we'll saw see. that last week, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, any other thoughts then when Clemson's got the ball? It seems like barring mistakes or barring in you know, otherworldly performance from some of their defensive ends, which is certainly possible with their talent and with our O-line inconsistency, seems like Clemson offensively should be able to move it. I think so. Um, maybe a couple, hit a couple deep balls. That would be quite refreshing. You mentioned Kane, Cody going into the end zone. Even even something deep to Mike Williams, but that would be, you know, very refreshing to see that because we haven't seen a lot of that this year. This won't necessarily be an X factor in the game, but just something to watch out for. I'm I'm not as good at reviewing film as a lot of the, a lot of the guys out there in Clemson media, but I will say I, I, what I see from Tony Elliott is a reluctance to maybe go to the same thing over and over or try to exploit a mismatch. We'll say making adjustments within the game. 
we'll see if, we'll see if they have success on something early if if they if they stick to it and if they can keep exploiting it and and of course defenses will make adjustments based off of yours but let's see if they can play a little bit more of a chess match take instead a, of going to like some pre uh, fab script that they might ha- might have had coming into the game take as much as they'll give you if it's there take it if if they're leaving mike williams and we'll say man coverage uh, with no safety help keep going to him yeah absolutely or you know if ray ray has got that hot hot hand keep feeding him the ball for instance so I mean, I think in spots we've seen them deploy that. Um, Ray Ray had a phenomenal game earlier in the year that they, he seemed to get the touch every other play. So, um, yeah, that's definitely a good call. Otherwise, in terms of this game, let's not dwell on special teams at all. I think if it, you know, if it does come down to this, one, one stat Clemson fans might not necessarily have seen is that um, place kicker, I forget his first name, but Robert Aguayo's <laughs> brother, who's now their starting kicker. Ricky. Uh, Ricky, very accurate inside 40 yards. He's only two of seven on kicks outside 40 yards. And seven attempts at this point of the season, you know, is pretty low, all things considered, especially for an offense that is sputtered. Um, So, you know, if they've got a long kick to try to tie the game, that could bode well if you're a Clemson fan. Um, Also, I think it'll be interesting to see if Jimbo Fisher doesn't have that confidence, are we going to see them go for it more on fourth down? In short yardage, well, or even it, long yardage. If anything can be said about this Clemson team is that they know how to win when it comes down to the opposing team clicking a field goal to take it. Determination and will, Ben. That's, <laughs> that's what does it. Um, so we will have final score predictions later on in the week. We post those to Twitter. We've got a bit of a contest. Um, we'll, we'll keep you guys posted on how that's going along. It's an internal to the podcast contest, so... Down the line, we, we can maybe participate maybe with one of our partner sites here. Um, but overall, I think this podcast crew is feeling pretty confident. However, it is in Tallahassee. It's a place we haven't won in a decade. Uh, you know, a fast start would definitely behoove Clemson. Not a fast start. Turn the ball over early. Keep that crowd in it. That's going to be tough. Yeah, I mean... I think coming off the bye week, this can certainly be a huge turning point on this season. Not that it necessarily needs one, because again, we're seven and zero. But when when you are an elite team or you have been playing at an elite level, there's not much else to compare yourself to. So for me, I look around and I look at other elite teams for comparison. That's really all we have to judge off of. We can't really look back at the 1981 teams; just not the same, right? So. I look around at teams like Alabama and Ohio State with Nick Saban and Urban Meyer, and I wonder, would Nick Saban have reacted the same way Dabo did after a game like that against NC State like that? But then I think to myself, doing the things that Nick Saban does is not how Clemson got here. That's not Dabo's way. That's not how Dabo got this, this, this team here. Um, and there are other ways of doing stuff. And I, give, I have to give Dabo the benefit of the doubt at this point until proven otherwise. I mean, you look at other coaches like Pete Carroll who have had success, and he's a player's coach. Well, Dabo's a player's coach. I do worry sometimes that some of these methods, maybe not criticizing the team, maybe not being as hard on them, prevents them from gaining an edge and being that tough, nasty, physical team. But then I remember games like the LSU Peach Bowl, uh, beating Ohio State, beating Oklahoma twice, and even that game against Alabama last year. So I know they can be tough. And what I've seen this year is a team that is better than everybody they've played. It's a team that a lot of times it hasn't even been close. I've seen a team that beats themselves. I think they've worked those things out that this team can be really special. And hopefully we see a lot of those things happen this Saturday night in Tallahassee. Yeah, I, looking at this game, I say that um, I could – I don't. I don't think it. I don't. I don't see it as a, a one-score victory or two-score. I, I can see it being a close game, or we tend to blow them out, and that's be, that's predicated on Florida State's history of folding. I, I could see us getting. I mean, I'm, I'm just giving betting advice. So a lot of people have asked for my betting advice, um, just so they can bet the opposite. So now I'm, I'm giving that. Um, so I, I could see again us going up a couple scores and then it turning into a small blowout, or it being a close game until the end uh, they certainly have the athleticism they're going to have the will uh, they haven't always they don't always have that they go from game to game but they'll they'll be ready to play yeah also I, I feel like certainly an amazingly timed buy for Clemson I don't know if we line that up before Florida State consciously I'd like to point out they got one too so of course um, but I think we saw a year ago what happened when you had a really early buy game and then you had to play something like nine consecutive weeks uh, and in those games, we had our starters on the field into deep into the game. 
great time by week for us to get healthy in spots, get guys back on the field, work out some recent um, issues. I think it, Clemson hopefully will not come out with rust and will come out, you know, firing early. So big one for us next weekend. We will certainly be tuning in and we'll do a recap a week from today, next Sunday. Um, so stay tuned for that. There's other big action going on around the country next weekend. Washington goes to Utah. Utah's looked pretty good lately. I would say it's a two-horse race in the Pac-12 South between Utah and Colorado. They're not really on everybody's radar. Both of those teams are like in the, you know, the, the 20s range of the AP rankings. But um, Utah, kind of a tough place to play. I think this will be a really good test to see if Washington, you know, is legit on defense, can stop a high-powered offense over there. I'm going to be looking at that game. Um, I'm not sure in the SEC what the big big matchups are. I think Michigan plays Michigan State this week too. So finally they'll play a team that's decent. Michigan State has had a down year, so it might just be another speed bump. Yeah, I don't know if I called Michigan State decent. <laughs> Maybe in name. Yeah. Um, they always play Michigan tough, so we will definitely take a look at, at what happens in that action and recalibrate. Um, and that'll be right in advance of the playoff committee making their first poll announcement um, a couple days after. So that'll be, that'll be good stuff. Um, guys, anything elsewhere around college football news that came up this week? We missed it last week, and that was Justin Foster's commitment. We usually try to track recruits when they commit, try to give some type of analysis or our feedback on it. And uh, it's, I think it's a huge recruit, for one. He's, he's listed as a top 100 player. Outside linebacker, I, I, I looked at his film from his sophomore year, super fast, super long, had the makings of it, a good outside linebacker prospect. Well, you go to his junior year film, and the kid's about 250, 250 pounds. We, we couldn't get Vic Beasley up to 250. There's no way this guy, I mean, he, the, the coaches have told him, you will stay at outside linebacker if that's what you want. But you see it time and time again. Players want to do what they want to do. They get in, like an Albert Huggins who wanted to play defensive end. Well, hey, you can make more money and have a better potential if you move into defensive tackle. And I see that happening with Justin Foster. So looking at his prospects as a defensive end, I think he, he has all the tools already at 250, can easily get to 260, maybe even 270 and carry that weight really well. Um, I've seen his speed diminish, it looks like, on film. So maybe not great outside linebacker speed, but for a, uh, before a defensive end, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely uh, solid. And then couple that with really, really good length, I think at about 6'5", and I think he has the makings of a really good defensive end prospect. Uh, another North Carolina guy came down to, I believe it was Georgia and us, uh, with Tennessee in there for most of it. And uh, his sister went to Clemson. He comes out a Clemson Tiger. Uh, great, great high-character kid, too. Just, I mean, really, really good kid. So in that same mold, um, great recruit. The recruiting train keeps rolling on. Yeah. Um, I want to point out something real quick, another positive note. Um, Deshaun Watson, Habitat for Humanity, um, they built a house in honor, honor of Watson. The team went over uh, last week to help as part of their public service project through the year. Um, the house is going to be known as the Next Generation House, and he received Habitat for Humanity's International Inaugural Next Generation Award. Um, and this award recognizes people who grew up in a Habitat home. I think we all know that Deshaun Watson had a bit of a, a rough upbringing, was in a Habitat home, and I just, all his athletic abilities aside, I want to circle back around to pointing out what a great person he is, uh, because we don't talk about that enough. So congratulations to Deshaun Watson. Super proud to have him be a Clemson Tiger, no matter how good he is at football. 100% agree, and you just, you're reminded of this too, contrasted by what you see out of Chad Kelly um, happening at Ole Miss. So um, we got it right. Um, you know, can't say enough good things about Deshaun, and really excited to see what the rest of this season holds in the future for him. Everyone makes their Browns jokes, but as a Browns fan, it'd be awesome to have him help regenerate that that team 49ers come out here to San Francisco to Sean <laughs> either way either team could definitely benefit um cool well last bit of news in college this past week uh was the indecision of the big 12 to actually expand a lot of people think this is a distraction tactic after the Baylor incident of the summer you know so that during big 12 media days in July they didn't have to talk about what went on at Baylor you know, lack of discipline that has been levied down there, uh, terrible situation. And others think it was also in reaction to the ACC's media deal with ESPN. Probably a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. 
Um, Dan Wetzel from Yahoo Sports wrote a really good piece about what the Big 12's only play is at this point. You guys should definitely read it, but talking about they need to be pushing for an expanded playoff team where the Big 12, regardless of who its members are, um, needs to be an automatic qualifying team for the playoff because four years down the road, when their grant of rights expires, you probably are going to see Texas or Oklahoma or both uh, leave that conference. And if they secure automatic qualifying into a playoff, they can maybe survive that. The irony in this whole conference expansion stuff starting because of Texas, essentially, and their big TV deal, and really focused around Texas and Oklahoma, and people thinking that FSU or Clemson were going to jump to the Big 12. And now you take a look back, and the ACC is stronger than it has been in a long time. The Big 10 is still a really strong conference. The SEC a little bit on a downturn, but you know they're still super powerful. So to see the Big 12 just kind of crash and burn like they have been, kind of enjoying it. Yeah, I, I don't see – it doesn't have a lot of staying power, and it is it is kind of crazy how three years can change. And, and I know college football, the, you go to the tailgate and everything is the same and the, the football is the same, but what's going on behind the scenes, the business aspect is constantly changing. It's changed a lot in the last three, four years. It will continue, continue to change in the next three to four. Um, and, yeah, that the Big 12 is – it's amazing because you got – it's as dysfunctional as it comes because – Oklahoma and Texas are, are calling all the shots, or their ADs are. And like you said, the, the long hair network is, is holding them hostage, holding the whole league hostage. Glad we didn't make the decision to jump to the Big 12. I don't know if that, how realistic that was back in, I think, 2011, 2010, but glad it didn't happen. Absolutely. Um, so that's probably one to keep track of. It's going to be overhyped across the board, but uh, feel pretty good about, I mean, I, I think I mentioned this on a tweet, feel pretty good about what Swaffer has been able to do when you look at what a train wreck the Big 12 has been. Yeah, maybe we give them a B minus instead of a, a C minus <laughs> now. I don't know. Right. Bump up that grade. Uh, well, guys, thank you once more for tuning in. Yet another plug to follow us on all of the social networks. Tell a few friends about the podcast. Stay tuned for our next show where we will recap the Florida State game, talk about other action around the country. Sh- certainly should be some movement there in the playoff picture. Um, and thank you once more for tuning in. And as always, go Tigers. And I can't give you heart. And tonight, hey, it was BYOG, bring your own guts. And they brought some guts and some heart, and they never.